0: Well, good morning, church. One year in, it is good to be back and to be with you. What a gift. As you see from the imagery of our new series video, our series has come to the table, and it it builds on the idea that Jesus practices table fellowship in the Last Supper and in communion, that in the invitation to be broken bread and to be poured out cups, we hear a sense of who we are, but what we want to do in this series is to unpack meals that Jesus shares in in the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke tells us a number of times where Jesus will welcome people to eat together, where he will be the servant at the meal, where he will provide for the abundance of the meal, uh, where he will celebrate uh, with those who gathered there. And so this series is an opportunity for us to consider uh, how this Welcome. how this pattern, how this table fellowship informs who we are and who we are meant to be. Uh, And in the spirit of that, you saw his face, but I'll repeat his name today, Uh, and that's Rabbi Mark Blazer. Our our summer dinner series, which starts this week and runs for four Wednesdays, is built around a vision for inviting voices to the table. Uh, And Mark is doing that this first week. He's going to come and share uh, some sense of who he is and his experience. Uh, And he and I, uh, anytime... Rabbi Blazer and I talk on the phone. It it goes from being a five-minute check-in to about a 45-minute conversation. We're we're very much kindred spirits. Uh, And so he was sharing about his recent travels to the Holy Land, and and then we got into fatherhood and the West Bank and all sorts of other things uh, from our lives and our passions and our energies. Uh, And so with about five minutes left before I had to go to another meeting, he said, so what do you want me to talk about? (laughs) And uh, so the vision for what we've invited our speakers to come and do is to be the voice, to share their heart, Is there something you would have us to know? So I want you to know and to come with the expectation on Wednesday that I I haven't come in and said, Mark, I need you to give us 45 minutes of Israelite history for Methodists or what does it mean to be a member of Temple Bethany, but to share who you are, what your passions are, what some of your intersections in life, that as we gather around the table, as we practice kingdom fellowship, that you would share in that. And I look forward to that time with him. Would you join me in a moment of prayer as we get started today? Holy God, who feeds us with such grace and mercy, we give you thanks and praise. We ask that you walk with us. For those of us who face uncertainty in the week ahead, for those of us who greet it with worry and anxiety, come to the table. Come to the table that we might find peace, that we might find patience, that we might find strength. For those of us who look ahead to the week and Do so with a spirit of optimism and celebration. Come to the table, O God, and bless us with your partnership. Meet us in this time of worship that we might be able to say that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart, that they would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, who is our strength and the source of all salvation, amen. So we're in the middle of our Come to the Table series. We're not in the middle. We're on the very first day. I get used to saying these patterns, and as a part of that, I want to talk about table theology, and specifically to start with the idea about how ideas about food and the table and eating together shape how we think about God. Now this is it is Aloha Sunday, so a lot of my imagery will be beach themes. I did not take this picture. I've never sat at a table that nice before. Uh, but uh, uh, this intersection of aloha, of welcome, of beachside gatherings along with this table idea. But how does eating and tables impact how we think about God? And you might say, well, that's a rather strange question. But here's what I mean. For me, uh, the whole of my experience with food, and you can probably guess this by my body type, has been the tension between things that I enjoy, food that is good tasting, food that is pleasurable, and food that is good for me, that which nurtures. If you want to make it really basic for me, it would be the great debate between two perfectly good green things, mint chocolate chip ice cream and kale. Kale. Pleasure and sustenance. Pleasure and sustenance. What we eat, what we desire, what our palate says is too spicy, too right, just perfect. The things that we enjoy, the patterns that we've learned from childhood or adapted in adulthood. For those of us that have made that transition from, oh, I would never eat fish to, oh, I love sushi. How we eat shapes how we think about God because in my life of faith, I have lived into the tension between God I need more good. I need pleasure. I'm not enjoying my life, my struggles, my health, my marriage, my work, whatever it is. Whatever you fill that space in where that sense of pleasure lives. Versus living into the tension of a God who is there to sustain. Who is present. Who offers the broccoli of faith. And not the cheese whiz covered kind. Who offers that which us sustains. And balanced against how food and table fellowship informs how we think about God, this series is gonna invite us to consider how God impacts how we think about the table. Now, the picture before you is not buffering, it's not pixelated. You saw in the opening scrawl the imagery of the Last Supper across cultures and across time, starting and ending with Da Vinci, one of my favorites, Uh, but this is one I found that I just really loved. As a builder of Legos, this is the relief of Da Vinci's Last Supper made out of Lego pieces. Not Lego characters, but using the color palette of Da Vinci's painting and giving us the sense of that. Why that image? Well, because... In this image, when you know what you're looking at, your mind starts to fill in the gaps. And you say, ah yes, I see the red and the blue that is familiar of Jesus' garb. I see disciples and their posturing in the colors. I can now make out the table and I can make out the legs. Your mind fills in the gaps with art. So too, when we talk about this table fellowship thing, is I want to invite prayerfully a sense that God's going to fill in the gaps of our expectations. That God's going to help us to know something more about ourselves, how we see the world, and who we are meant to be. Because there are still parts in my mind that are a little bit fuzzy, and will be, till the day I die, about my relationship with God, and how God sees our world, how I see others, and how I am to relate to them. And it is the Spirit's work to fill in that gap. But before we move into our first story in Luke, I just want to get carry forward into this experience. I almost feel like I owe it to you because you're putting up with my hair and my beard these days. I'm two weeks away from playing Tevye for four weekends. Stop. One of the things that happens in that show, which I, I think escapes capture, is his table fellowship. Tevye has a sense that his table is a place to practice hospitality. And very early in the first act, he runs into a displaced student named Perchik, who has no place to go for the Sabbath. And Tevia says, come, share the Sabbath table with me. He invites this new stranger who's really kind of stirring up trouble already into his home, and he has a vision for table that is informed by his understanding of God. He says, we may, not eat like, we may not eat like kings, but we don't starve to death either. He's got a sense that God's going to provide, that there will be enough. God's going to show up when we celebrate Shabbat together, when we are a people of faith together. So come, Perchick, into my home. To the point where they just show up for that meal, and he introduces Perchick to his family and to his wife, and he says, he's staying for the Sabbath. And Golda's response is, of course there is another blessing someone else to feed. There is this beautiful connection between how we eat, how we share meals, and the work of the kingdom of God. But let's take a look at the word of God for our time this morning as we start in the Gospel of Luke. Our first story is going to have a lot of affinity with what we heard last week. Remember, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector climbing in a tree. He goes and has lunch in a more exclusive way with Jesus, and the people don't like that. Now, this story from the Gospel of Luke tells one that will feel very familiar to that, and it reads in this way. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed Jesus. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Oh, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sects complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. For us today and this morning, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, those of you who've been in Sunday school classes or are good kind of Bible readers or Bible students will immediately hear this story and say, Now, wait a minute, Pastor. That's Matthew's story. The Gospel of Matthew tells the exact same story. Matthew's sitting in his tax collector booth. Jesus comes along and calls him as a tax collector and says, follow me. Matthew leaves everything and throws a great banquet. These two Gospels share this tense and same story. One by the name of Matthew, one by the name of Levi. And one of the things that the church has done throughout its history is to try and overlay this nickname cycle or anything else. But here's what I do with this particular intersection. There was a time for the first 300 plus years of Christianity where we did not have a definitive version of our New Testament or Bible. What we had was Gospels in circulation in blossoming church communities, just like VUMC, Letters from Paul that were informing their identity. And it wasn't until the Council of Nicea where those things were collected, voted on, and codified into the New Testament books that we know and love. And out of that cycle, one of the things that I think would have happened in the early church was, if I had a version of the Gospels and the tax collector story was Levi's, and you had one that the tax collector stories was Matthew's, One of the ways that we could distinguish between the two that we have would be, oh, I have the gospel with Matthew. Which in the early church innately becomes, I have the gospel of Matthew. Either way, these faithful men decide to leave what they have and to follow Jesus and become a a a a pattern for us of discipleship. So be it Matthew or Levi, and I'll continue to use Levi this morning because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. This man turns away from a pattern of life that is familiar and comfortable and follows Jesus. You can imagine that he's sitting there surrounded by his actuarial tables, maybe even little piles of coins, as he's doing the work of taxing the people. And there is something about Jesus even this early in the Gospel of Luke. He hasn't fed 5,000 people yet. He hasn't healed 10 lepers. His miracle work to this point has been very limited, and yet there is something compelling enough that Levi the tax collector leaves everything that he knows and everything that he is comfortable with behind and follows Jesus. That is a strange phenomenon for so many of us, particularly those of us that grew up around churches. If you don't know, I'm the son of a Methodist minister. I grew up in Methodist campus ministries. That's where I experienced my definitive call into ministry. I came to a Methodist seminary where I met my wife, and then I got stuck in ministry in Southern California. That's the abridged version. But my growth in my call story with Jesus has been progressive. There hasn't ever been a point where it was either or. Choose this or that. And one of the fears I think that so many of us have in the church is, is that if we truly follow Jesus with our hearts and with our lives, there may come a point where Jesus says to us, like Jesus said to Levi, follow me. In such a way where the conviction would be, oh, I have to leave everything I know, everything I'm comfortable with, the way I earn my living and those people I know to go here to do that for the Lord. I never heard the call that said, Andy, I want you to leave everything and and go to Peru and be my witness there. So there is within me, with this pleasure-sustenance dynamic of how I understand God in these stories, that tension. I wasn't ever the Levi. But I get that sense, that powerful sense of being called into something more. And what happens when Jesus calls a tax collector... Is that he exposes himself to a whole bunch more tax collectors. Because the first thing that Levi does is take his wealth and his opportunity, apply it to God's good work, and he throws a party, a great feast. And the people that Levi knows, the people that Levi invites, the people that he has relations with are not the righteous Pharisees, it's other tax collectors. It's sinners like him. And so what happens is is the first interaction that Jesus has over this meal is not with the people who get it right and who are best, but with a collection of unsavory people in Jesus' day. Knowing tax collectors means meeting other tax collectors. Knowing sinners means knowing other sinners. It is this pattern and work of Jesus to experience these people, to come to them in their vulnerable places, and to draw attention to what is going on in the kingdom of God. He's helping them to experience a sense of of, of new branding, if you will. And one of the questions we can ask about how we understand our own table fellowship is are there places in our lives where we can use who we are, what we have, and more importantly, who we know, to better share the kingdom of God? Are there relationships that could be had in your backyard over a barbecue or at Starbucks that invite those people who are other sinners just like you into a deeper relationship with a God who loves them just as much as God loves you? But in the midst of that, the Pharisees complain. These followers of the law who have very strict understandings of what makes somebody clean, unclean, holy, or profane, look at the situation and they say, This man eats with tax collectors and sinners. And they say it with such shock and such dismay, judging the people who Jesus eats with. And here's the struggle. If you judge Jesus for who he eats with, you miss the fact that Jesus is one who eats with. That was complicated, let me give it to you again. If your focus is on who Jesus eats with, you miss the fact, the gospel confession and truth, That Jesus is a person who eats with. Our confession is that this is the incarnate one. This is the Messiah. This is one sent from and of God. And he comes into an experience and does not set himself up apart from, away from. He comes and the word we use is abide. Incarnation means to be meaty with, to dwell with people. This is a Jesus who brings the kingdom of God not to some place where you have to go find it, but to the table itself. The image I want you to leave with today is that the kingdom of God is not someplace out there. The kingdom of God exists in the four feet between your your table setting and somebody else's. That's where the kingdom of God is. Because Jesus doesn't care about who He eats with. It's important for the world to see that Jesus, the Messiah, is one who will come and eat with. Eat with the people who are vulnerable. Eat with the people who are in need. The tax collectors come and complain to Jesus and the disciples. This man eats with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus' response is, the healthy don't need a doctor. The sick do. I'm not here for the righteous. If you believe you're right with God, then be right with God. If your life of faith is giving you true life, then continue to lead it. I'm not here to inform the righteousness and the expectations that you have as a righteous person. I'm here to bring the love of God and the mercy of God to those who have always stood on the outside. Who you say not only should they not have it, they do not deserve it. I'm not a perfect doctor person. I go when something is bad. Rather than taking the opportunity to maybe use it more like an oil change. And keep things from going bad. This is the confessional time. Sometimes healthy people need doctors to stay healthy. But in the analogy of Jesus, the people that He comes for, Zacchaeus last week, Levi and his room full of tax collectors and sinners are the people that Jesus cares deeply about. He doesn't want them to say the kingdom of God is some place that is far away from me and without my reach. No, He says the kingdom of God exists in the four feet between me and you at this table we share together. So church, what happens when we come to the table? we take our sermon series with any seriousness here i confess that there is a risk reward dynamic to t- the to churches and to people who take seriously the idea of welcoming the other one of my favorite non star wars movies is field of dreams As an almost 47-year-old man, I cannot get through the end of that film when Kevin Costner says, Hey, Dad, how about a catch without weeping openly, regardless of the people I'm watching that movie with. And the premise of that film? If you build it, they will come. If you set a place for the other, for the stranger... For the tax collector, for the sinner, for the brokenhearted, for the displaced, for the disenfranchised, for the victims. The risk is they may come sit down and join you in fellowship. Thanks be to God for it. And yet we take the risk and vulnerability to say there is a place for you at God's table. There is a place in God's kingdom. Why? Because the confession of our people, not just from the time of Jesus, but for some 3,000 years before Him, is that a vision of heaven, a vision of the kingdom of God is a table set before me in the presence of my enemies. Where's the kingdom of God? When the four feet between you and someone else Is made manifest with God's purpose and possibility. Risk and reward. The second thing is this Jesus didn't care who he was seen with, he could care less. He ate on the Sabbath. He ate with sinners. Jesus was not about being a brand and reputation guy. He was about tearing down walls and breaking expectations about what the love of God could be and what it should be in His day and some 2,000 years later. Rather than being a seen with guy, Jesus cared about being a known as guy. He wanted to be known As someone with whom the very grace of God moved through the world. He wanted to be known as someone who could be sought out for healing. He wanted to be known as someone who could be trusted to interpret God's will and God's wisdom. He wanted to be known as someone from whom grace abundant would flow. Such that when he offers to a tax collector the simple phrase, follow me. Matthew or Levi would say, That feels right. He's not a seen with guy. He's a known as guy. And so too should the church not be a who are we seen with, but rather what are we known as? Are we known for our welcome? Are we known for our worship? Are we known for the vibrancy of the Spirit in our midst? Are we known as a people who pray together? Are we known as a people who will weigh into life's difficult struggles and broken times? Are we known as those who will open arms to those who need God's deep embrace the most? What are we known as? And the last question I want to leave in the room is a metaphor that I'm going to set today, but then I want to play with later. Asking the question when we talk about this idea that we will over the next month and a half of coming to God's table, where do you see yourself? Where do you see yourself? Are you on the outside looking in? Are you the host? Who's got work to do? Places to set? Food to prepare? Are you a guest at the table? By analogy, I want you to lean into that last idea for the next week or more. That we are all guests at a table that God has set for us. That God is a host for. We need to begin to free ourselves from the expectations of hosting the divine banquet. Such that if everything went the way I expected. Everything went right. The right kind of people and the right kinds of things would happen. We are all guests of an abundant, amazing, healing convicting grace that's what motivates us to share it thanks be to god let's pray